Well, good morning, church. Glad to be with you here in our online service. Uh, a couple of quick updates. You should have already received an email with regard to our uh, three-phase plan of how we are going to be regathering back together. Uh, our first live service that we're going to be uh, hosting at Bonnie's will be um, June the 7th. And in the email, you, you notice that there's going to be registration for that because of uh, the, the capacity limits that we have to abide by and the ability to social distance. And so uh, be on the lookout for that this week to register you and your family if you choose to participate uh, coming back uh, in our live service. But also wanted to update you, we will continue uh, to do this online service just like this. And so if you maybe have some reservations, you want to wait and see, uh, maybe you just love online worship, uh, we will make this uh, available to you uh, for the coming weeks as we phase into what re-entry might look like for us at Providence North. And so thank you for your cooperation. Uh, thank you to the many of you for the kind words, uh, the grace that you've shown us during this season. Um, we are looking forward to uh, getting back together uh, on a limited capacity and then, uh, by God's grace, uh, hopefully soon, uh, all back together with a fully functioning children's ministry um, in phase two or three, I believe. So reference that email. Um, but we're continuing at our look at one of my most favorite chapters in all of the Bible, Romans chapter eight. And it's all about the amazing, unbounding, enormous grace of God and how the grace of God is um, so much more than we even think it is. It's so much better than we even think it is. Um, many call it the great eight, Romans chapter eight. Uh, it's this incredible passage. And so remember last Sunday, as we introed, we said that Romans chapter eight actually magnifies the grace of God for you and I because we so often shrink it. We make it small. We forget about it. We move past it. We don't think about it. And when we encounter Romans chapter eight, the apostle Paul is magnifying for us the grace of God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And remember we said it doesn't magnify the grace of God like a microscope does because a microscope takes something very small and makes it so that we can see it. That's not what the grace of God is like. The grace of God is not very small that we have to search and find it. Through Romans 8, when we encounter it, we see the grace of God and Paul magnifies it like a telescope magnifies something. And a telescope magnifies something that is vast and enormous and it brings it up close so that we can behold it so that we can see it for all that it is. And so that is exactly what Paul is doing in Romans chapter eight and why I love it so much because I, I need the grace of God in my life because I've not measured up. I haven't made it. I don't, I don't get it all the time. I say the wrong thing. I do the wrong thing. I think the wrong thing. I stumble, I fall. Um, and Romans eight reminds us of the good news of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ and how enormous his grace is uh, for me, the undeserving, and maybe also for you. And so uh, we looked at that amazing first verse, the tip of the iceberg, the gospel in one verse. We just got through one verse. 
And it said this, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The gospel in one verse. Jesus was condemned in our place. And so now when we take Jesus by faith and we receive him and we believe him and we are born again as uh, the New Testament calls it, we therefore have now no condemnation. Jesus took it for us and we are free from it. Finally, no more shame. I love what Bill Mount says about this verse. Uh, when, when he encounters it, Bill Mount is a great uh, Greek professor um, he says, he says, if you insist, if you still insist on feeling guilty, meaning you still just insist on pouring shame on yourself and living in condemnation. If you insist on feeling guilty, it's just another way of you insisting on helping God with your salvation, which of course we know we cannot do at all. Jesus did it all. And then he goes on, he says, how deeply embedded in us is the influence of works-based righteousness. Now, works-based righteousness is not the gospel at all. It is not what Romans 8 is telling us. It is not what Romans 8 is presenting to us. Works-based righteousness is what we fall into and what we default into as religion. It means I work real hard and now God will love me. And when I fail and mess up, shame and condemnation fall right back onto me until I tip the scales the other way. Romans 8 says it is not that way in Christ. Christ on the cross took it all for us. Romans 8 brings us back to the gospel again and again and again and again where we find that there is none righteous, no, not one. Only Christ did what we could not do for ourselves. So this morning, we're just going to look at verse 2. I know we're going slow, but hey, we got time. Um, and these are so rich. These are so powerful, these words. Uh, when we read the Bible, remember this as we look at these words, that this is where we encounter God. This is where we hear from him. This is where we find out what he's like. And so these words are profound. These words are important. So first, he declares over us no condemnation. Good news. And now in verse two, he gives us a whole new way of living our lives. This is incredible. Listen to this. The Apostle Paul says this, verse 2, Romans chapter 8, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. A whole new way of living. Okay, so what does that mean? What is Paul talking about here? What he's talking about is our new relationship with God found in Christ. Remember last week we talked about our union in Christ. We're found in Christ. So this is our new relationship, the spirit of life, as opposed to the law of sin and death. And so if you go back one chapter in Romans chapter seven, the apostle Paul describes what it's like living under the law of sin and death. Right? He describes the shame and the condemnation of living under the law of sin and death, meaning this, 
meaning that God's law, when we read God's law, when we read the Old Testament, when we read the Ten Commandments, and even our own thoughts tell Paul and they tell you and I the right way to live, okay? So when we're presented and we're confronted with God's law, we realize how we don't measure up to it. And Paul says in Romans chapter 7, he, he's, he's looking at his life. He's looking at how he lives. And he says things like this. He's like, I can never do that which I really want to do. So I hear the law of God and I want to do that, but I just can't seem to do it. And he ended up never being able to, 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 to do the thing that which he wanted to do. And then he says to make it worse, I actually do the things I don't want to do. So I'm, I'm presented, I'm confronted with the law of God and I just can't seem to do it. I can't seem to measure up. And in fact, when I try, I end up doing the very opposite of that which I don't even want to do. And so Paul is describing living under the law of sin and death. And it was this vicious cycle that Paul could not escape on his own willpower, his own grit. He couldn't pick himself up by the bootstraps and get out of this vicious cycle of, of wanting to do better and then failing and stumbling and sinning and wanting to do better and failing and stumbling and sinning. And he just this vicious cycle and he hated himself for it. it filled him with shame and regret. It made him frustrated. It made him angry. He wanted to figure a way out of it. Have you ever been there? I mean, I can relate to those words the Apostle Paul gives to us. It's, I want to live like this. I want to do what God asks me to do. I want to live the way of righteousness. And so I'm going to try really hard, but my flesh wars against me and I end up doing this over here, that which I don't want to do. Have you ever been there? I think we've all experienced, if we're honest with ourselves, this vicious cycle of um, making big promises and then failing, and then that bitter aftertaste of regret and shame that floods us. The Bible calls that death. The sting of sin, the pangs of death, the pangs of, of the sin which so easily entangles us. And this arrangement, as Paul is describing it to us in the book of Romans, is called the Old Covenant, where we're confronted with the law of God and we try to measure up. And what we learn as we read the Bible and as we read the New Testament and as Paul helps us unpack is that it doesn't actually help us. Uh, it condemns us. It shows us all the places that we can't measure up. It shows us all the places that though we want to do it right, we just can't. We just can't get there. But we really think it's going to help us. We really think that's the way. And so we sign up again and again and again. And what do we do? We make big promises. I'm going to change this. I'm going to change this. I'm never going to do this. I'm never going to look at that. I'm never going to say it like this. I'm never going to whatever it is in your life. And we make big promises when confronted with the law of God. And then what do we do? We break them every time. We break our big promises. Because this old covenant 
all it does is reveal to us our great need for a rescue. And we cannot do it on our own, but here's the good news of Romans chapter eight, church. God gives us a new way. And it's called in the Bible, the new covenant. So if that vicious cycle was the old covenant, God, now in the New Testament, gives us the new covenant. And Paul's describing it right here, Romans chapter 8, verse 2. He says, the law of the spirit of life. The law of the spirit of life. And what does it do? It frees us up. It frees us from this vicious cycle and this never-ending shame and condemnation of never measuring up. And now, I'll, I'm going to say this. We never experience this perfectly, this side of heaven. We just don't. That's also what Paul is describing in Romans 7. But what the gospel does is when we encounter uh, the good news of Jesus on the cross, um, God begins to take the message of the good news of the gospel, the Holy Spirit coming on us, our union now with Christ, and God begins to shape and do something brand new in us. The Holy Spirit begins to do something that is foreign to us under the old covenant. And the Holy Spirit begins to make the things of God for the very first time beautiful to us. The, the Holy Spirit now begins to make the things of God uh, seem good to us, begin to make God seem wholly trustworthy for us. And we stop trusting on our bright ideas and we stop trusting on our great claims of promises to do better and we stop running after the empty pleasures that are everywhere in front of us, and we instead begin to run toward the everlasting, never-ending pleasure of God himself through his only son, Jesus our Lord. And we begin to taste and see that that is the place of true life. And it opens up all these new places in our everyday real lives. It opens up new pathways of um, love, new pathways of trusting God, new pathways of hoping in something beyond just the work of our hands. And we lay down our big promises and we lay down our big, I'm gonna do better next time, though we never do. And we start saying, I can't. And so I'm going to fall heavy on the promises of God, the promise of Christ, the work of Christ. And in that embrace is where we actually can live. That's really good news. Now, how do we know that, that that's beginning to happen in us? It's, it's like I said, it's not perfect in this life, this side of heaven, heaven. But how do we know that those things, that the Holy Spirit is doing that, is knitting and forming and shaping and changing the things in our hearts and our minds like it says it will. Well, just for starters, um, greedy people begin to become generous people. 
Um, adulterers become devoted and faithful people. The jealous are freed up to finally celebrate other people. The powerful can finally help the weak rather than crush them and get ahead. The bitter become joy-filled people. And like it told us in verse 1, the ones filled with shame and condemnation uh, can experience um, joy and relief and worship and no more condemnation. So Romans 8 verse 2 is telling us something amazing. Um, it's telling us that we, we actually don't need to be yelled at uh, and we don't need to be scolded into doing that which is right, uh, into doing that which is true, into trusting God. Um, Romans 8 tells us that the Holy Spirit, as this gift that is given to you and I, enters into our ever-present reality right now, today, into our lives, and we start to come alive to God, and we start to delight in that which he delights in. So it's a work that is begun by God, from God, and now for God, because we start to love the things he loves, and it begins to change us. And we find ourselves um, really to our own even surprise that we begin to love the things of God. We begin to love God himself. And that we desire to grow in our righteousness, not because we're good, but because Jesus has given to us all that we need to now love him and trust him and have him. And so we, 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 we find new inroads of humility. We find new inroads in our hearts to love with a greater capacity than we ever thought possible. We find new inroads uh, for a willingness to serve others even um, when it is difficult. We find in ourselves even the desire to go to hard places and to do even uh, difficult things so that others might grasp this amazing good news and this amazing new life that is given to us through Jesus our Lord. That's why Paul calls it in verse two, the spirit of life. This spirit, this new way of living, always, always, always um, outperforms our religion our endless striving and our endless breaking of all the promises that we told God that we would never break again. And we do. The whole point of this, the whole point of Romans chapter eight is that Christianity, or as Paul's calling it, the law of the spirit of life, that which God has given to us, is not an ideal that God is saying, you better live up to this or I won't even look at you. That's not it. Romans 8 verse 2 is saying, through Christ, 
through his finished work, God is giving you a gift and me a gift. And we don't deserve it. We haven't earned it. Um, And we can't even keep it on our own. It's kept in heaven for us. But this gift is something which he provides everything for us through the finished work of Christ on the cross, verse one. So now we don't have any condemnation. And verse two, this gift through the finished work of Christ gives to us the endless power of the Holy Spirit poured out on you and through you, giving you life. Not just... um, not just sort of run-of-the-mill life, but this life that the New Testament talks about of life to the full, abundant, um, joy-filled, like a, a contentment, a peace in life. No more striving because Christ has accomplished it for you. So now you can, uh, you can pour yourself out because Jesus poured all of him out onto you and has given you his very best, the Holy Spirit. And so church, Romans chapter eight, verse two is reminding us, hey, don't try to renegotiate with God. Don't try to go back to feeling real bad and trying to earn your salvation and trying to renegotiate it. Don't don't just try harder. Don't just have better words. Instead, under uh, the, the light yoke of the new covenant and the good news of Jesus and his and his burden that which is easy and light we can fall and rest in the furnished work of Jesus and we can receive the gift of the holy spirit and of life so church this week um, let's live in that place let's wake up in the morning And just whisper a prayer of thanksgiving to God that through Christ and through the gift given to us by the Holy Spirit, uh, we can stop trying to claw our way back to God because he's done everything for us and we're fully loved and fully embraced and we have no condemnation. And now we have this new gift, the, the spirit of God that is changing our hearts and making pathways and inroads to help us create in us a brand new heart that now values and trusts and treasures God and all that is beautiful to him. And we might be able to walk in it. Let's do that this week. Call a friend at church uh, and remind them of that good news. We need to hear it again and again and again because uh, we so often forget and we default back to religion. But we don't need the old covenant. We desperately need the new one because it's in the new one that we have now life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for what you accomplished for us on the cross, the good news of the gospel. We thank you that you've given to us a gift that is undeserved and the gift of the spirit of life that now occupies us. And God, we thank you that it's producing in us all of these new things. It's awakening in us um, all of these new things. And so God, I pray for us as a church that your Holy Spirit through the finished work of Jesus would produce in us 
um, affections that are stirred toward um, the things of you, greater capacity for love, greater capacity for generosity, greater capacity for joy, greater capacity um, for all the things that are dear to your heart. God, make them dear to ours through which only you can do the spirit of life. We thank you. We trust you in Jesus' name. We pray these things. Amen.